Good morning. Our scripture reading is in Acts 20. Please stand with me as I read. Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. And the scripture says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church. And they were, when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befall me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth it in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring, ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Please and turn to First Peter, First Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy, chapter four. And this morning I'm going to finish a message that I started last week, and I knew it was going to be a two part message. So this is part two. I spoke the first two parts of it last week, and hopefully this week we'll get to parts three and four. As we continue our series in Timothy, living out love in the local church, how we must learn to behave ourselves in the house of God. The message this morning is reach your full potential. 
I'll read this passage beginning in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, but we'll spend most of our time today in verses 14 through 16. But we'll start at verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Here we go. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Can you please read verse 15 and 16 with me together? Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray. So God, here we are in your presence. We are weary, so give us rest. We are helpless, so give us strength. We are poor and needy, so bless us with those unsearchable riches of Christ. And we are often ignorant and foolish, so make us wise unto salvation. And fill us with Your Spirit as we get into Your Word so that we could rejoice in who You are as we just sang, All I have is Christ. And that we could say, Blessed be Your name. So speak now, Lord, and may we hear You speak to our hearts from Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. So reach your full potential. This is a narrow ridge in a famous park called Zion National Park. And this is a famous ridge in that park called Angel's Landing. Some of you have heard of it. How many have heard of Angel's Landing at Zion National Park? I mean, it sounds very biblical. Zion, speaking of heaven, going, we're marching to Zion, and here's Angel's Landing. And, and so a Methodist preacher named it Angel's Landing when he said only an angel could land on that narrow ridge. But a whole lot of people have tried to climb it. Now, what's really amazing about this is, is it is very dangerous, but a lot of people do it, and they, they have chain, a chain-link fence in those really narrow parts of this ridge. It's more narrow than a sidewalk, and the fall, well, it would, you would be dead if you fell. And they say, since 1987, about 14 people have fallen, and they were not borne up by the angels. So, be careful if you do this. But the thing is, by way of illustration, is if you're a climber, you want to reach the top. In Jesus Christ, we want to reach all that God wants us to be. We want to do what we could not have done if we did not have Jesus. We want to go where we could not have gone if we did not have Jesus. We want to reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. And we've got to hold on. Not to the chain, but to the Word of God. To Jesus Christ. We've got to hold on because we are on a difficult journey, church. To live the Christian life in any time, in any season, or any culture of any generation. It's not easy to live out the Christian life. But it's possible. And it is glorious for us to be Christians and live for Jesus Christ. So, in this passage of Scripture, as I looked at these verses, 
I saw verse 15. I'm taking that as our theme. When I say reach your potential, I'm going to verse 15 as our theme. And then what I do when I, when I prepare a message, at least what I often do, I get a theme, and then I get points from the text. I don't make up the points. I get the points from the, from the passage of Scripture to build around that theme. Okay, so what's the theme here? Verse 15, he says, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them, that your profiting may appear to all. Now those are commands. Meditate is a command. Give yourself wholly to them. That is, immerse yourself in them. Live and breathe the Word of God. Make this a part of your life. Wrap yourself up. Be occupied. You cannot live the Christian life with half a heart. Jesus didn't say, the great command is to love me with a quarter of your heart and a quarter of your soul. That's not it, right? It's all your heart. We, you gotta, we got to do all, you got to go all in. And so that's what Paul is telling Timothy. All in, Timothy. Meditate. Give your mind. Give yourself completely to them. And then he says that you're profiting. And that really gets to the heart of the theme. That you're profiting. That you're progress. That, and we said last week, that we are like it's a military word, and the idea of it is that as we are in a, in a spiritual battle, and as we do these things, the promise is that our progress and our pioneer advance into enemy territory, for the kingdom of God's sake, will be glorious in His eyes, and our profiting will appear to all. So this describes soldiers who are making a pioneer advance, who are clearing the way so others could follow. And Paul is telling Timothy over and over again in this passage to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, while we do this, and I didn't say this last week now, this same word that your profiting may appear before all, it's actually used a number of times by Paul in these pastoral epistles that talk about the deceptive teachers as well. So while we're trying to do this for the Lord, guess what? There are those who are trying to do it for who? The devil's kingdom. The devil has his soldiers. And so these two verses in 2 Timothy, I'm going to be quoting, a, I hope I don't overwhelm you with too many verses, but just to warn you, i got a lot of verses today. But, and mostly in the, in the pastoral epistles. But in 2 Timothy, the follow-up to this book, Paul told Timothy, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will what? They will what? Increase. That means progress. That's the same word as profiting. So Paul's telling Timothy that you're profiting, that your progress will appear to all. But at the same time, guess what's going to make progress in the, in the church in Ephesus and in the culture that Timothy was going to? The, the vain babblings. The false teachings will also be increasing. So deceptive teachings will increase. And then 2 Timothy 3.13, he says, evil men and seducers will what? What does it say they will do? They will what? Wax. That's actually the same original language words at, word as our text. Back in 1 Timothy, profiting. In other words, evil men and seducers will profit. They'll progress in their evil. Worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. So the point is this, and this is a challenge to me, as a challenge to all of us living in this great city of Babylon that we're living in, that Timothy was to make pioneer advances, even though the enemy was too. 
The enemy does not stop the child of God filled with the Spirit of God. We can progress toward Christ-likeness in a culture where deceptive teachings and deceptive teachers are even growing. Amen? We can't use this as an excuse. Oh, I can't do it here. It's too hard. No, it's not an excuse. We're in a present evil world. Let your lights shine before men. Even in, a, in, a, in the darkness, we're to shine in the darkness. So, that's a challenge to me. So I want us to think about how we can make progress to reach our potential. And this is important. I believe all of us can embrace this. We all want to be what God has called us to be and to do what He wants us to do. So there's three, four things here that we must do. And we talked about the first two last week was to be an example of the believer. That's in verse 12. So we have to guard our example in verse 12. And we said that our example is in two areas, in our public observable life, that is, in our conversation, in our conduct. That's up in verse 12. He says, be an example in word, that's in our everyday speech, and in our conversation, that's in our entire behavior. So in our public observable life, we're to have integrity and we're to be an example. And then he says, in our personal inner life, we're to have also integrity and to be an example. And so that's in charity. In spirit, that's in our character, our inner character. That's in faith and our confidence in God. And that's in our purity, our cleanliness. Spiritual, moral cleanliness. To be an example. Are we an example? So we have to guard our example. If we're going to progress and be all that God wants us to be, we have to be an example. The second thing we said was we have to focus on the essentials. That's verse 13. Just to, to review, we said there were three things there on the essentials. So these are not just frivolous things to do when you don't have any time to do anything else. No, these were, these were not innovations that the church does. These are the absolute bottom line essential ingredients of a worship service then and now and until Jesus comes. And it's the reading of God's Word. Maybe someone thought, oh wow, the reading of the Scripture today was quite a long passage of Scripture. It's nowhere as long as what they read in the Old Testament for hours. And I love it in, when Jesus, remember when He went to the, church, went to, went to the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4? When He went into the synagogue of Nazareth, it says, as His custom was. And He stood up to read the Scripture. And so we're still doing that. So Jesus started a church, and His church, the custom of the church, is to what? To read God's Word. And not only to read it, but look at this passage. It says, to exhortation. And that's just a a way of saying the encouragement of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, the application. And we read last week from Nehemiah. I love that passage where they read it, and then they they gave the sense of it. They explained it. And they applied it so that the people came under conviction with weeping. So the preaching of God's Word, and then remember what Nehemiah told him. He says, don't weep, this is a day of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know when the, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and convicts you to obey? You weep, but then you can rejoice. And then doctrine is the teaching of God's Word. To doctrine. Doctrine is simply the teachings of Jesus. This passage of Scripture mentions 
doctrine in, up in verse 6 and also in verse 16, and we'll see it later. So those are the three things that he had to focus upon, the reading, the preaching, the teaching of God's Word. Now, the, second, the third thing, I'm sorry, is we have to live out our empowerment. That's now in verse number 14. We have to live out our God-given gifts. The Christian life cannot be lived in human strength or with human sufficiency. Now, if you play a football game, the team will give you football equipment. And you play the game with a helmet and pads and knee pads. And you cannot play. You, you dare not go on a football field if you're a professional or a college or even high school or even a midget football player. You don't go on the football field without the equipment. You need the equipment. So if we're going to serve God, we have to understand our spiritual equipment. He's given us spiritual gifts. So look what he tells Timothy here. He says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. Neglect not. That, that is the idea of like looking down upon your gift and despising it. Or thinking, my gift isn't that important. It doesn't matter whether I live out my giftedness or not. No, that's, that's what Paul is telling Timothy not to do. Timothy could not look at the situation and say, well, I can't minister like Paul. I can't write letters like Paul. So, therefore, I think I'll just sit on the sideline. No. Timothy had gifts. They weren't Paul's gifts. But they were gifts God gave Timothy. At last Wednesday, we did a message in Acts 9, and we talked a little bit about Dorcas. So there was Dorcas... She was gifted of the Lord. And in her giftedness, what did she do? It wasn't a miraculous gift. She didn't heal people. She didn't raise the dead. She what? She sewed clothes for widows. Her gift, her giftedness led her to do hard work. Sometimes you have to work hard to live out your giftedness. But her giftedness is just as vital in the church of Jesus Christ as the giftedness in that situation as Peter, who raised her from the dead after she died. So Dorcas did not despise her gift. She, she used her gift for the glory of God, and so must we all. So we said uh, a spiritual gift. A God-given capacity for service. Given at salvation. Go back to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 12. You just go back there real quick. Just read a couple verses. Given at salvation by the Holy Spirit. In order to perform a needed function of ministry in the body of Christ. This, I, I just love this whole chapter, actually, in 1 Corinthians 12. It's Pauline sarcasm at its best. When he talks about, can the eye, can the, can the ear say, because I'm not the eye, am I not of the body? I mean, that, that's Pauline sarcasm in the, in the sense that can my ear say, man, I'm this ear over here. People make fun of the ear. It's too small. It sticks out too much. I mean, this is not an attractive part of my body. Whereas the eye, people look at the eye and say, oh, you have such beautiful eyes, you know. But if the whole body were an eye and there wasn't hearing, the body is deficient. And as beautiful as your eyes are, 
if all you were was an eye rolling down the sidewalk, people wouldn't say, what beautiful eyes you have. They would think, ah, it's the blob, the eye blob, you know? So, in other words, what makes a body beautiful is its diversity and how all the different parts work together as one body. And that's what Paul is saying in this whole chapter, beautiful chapter. But look at these couple verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says in verse number 4, I'll just read here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations. That's the word diakonia. There's different services, but the same Lord. In other words, there's different services. There's homeless ministry. There's ministry at the rescue mission. There's choir. There's doing set up. There's different ministries, but it's the same, same Lord. And he says there are diversities of oper- operations. That is the energizing and the energy. That different, different people have different energy, don't they? Some people could do three things at once and juggle those, those responsibilities. Some people just need to maybe just focus on one thing, and that's okay. Everybody has different energizing, different energy to do, do things. But it is the same God that worketh all in all. Now, verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? To every man. For what? To profit with all. To profit the body of Christ. So we all have a spiritual gift. A God-given capacity for service. Given to us by the Holy Spirit to perform a needed function in the ministry of the body of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to say about this is that Timothy was gifted by God. And he's called to live out those gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. On this, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 6, where Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift, and who gave it to him? Of God. So this isn't, a, this isn't a gift Timothy worked up in his own flesh. This was a gift God gave Timothy. So Timothy was gifted by God. And he's called then to stir it up. Just because God has given you a gift doesn't mean you're naturally going to use that gift. You have to cooperate with God to fulfill the ministry of that giftedness. Timothy was gifted by God. But he's called to stir up that gift, to live out that gift in the power of the Holy Spirit of God who gave it. And Timothy's gifts were sufficient for the situation that Paul was putting him into. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But God gifted Timothy exactly for the situation that he was in. And what Paul was placing him in, in this spiritual warfare in Ephesus. So our giftedness is sufficient for you to serve God right where you are. You can't say, oh, I'm in New York. I can't use my giftedness here. I've got to move to Virginia. No. You're in New York. Use your giftedness here. New York needs, a church needs your giftedness. Heritage Baptist Church needs every member of the body of Christ to be at work. You can't say, oh, the pastor. We pay the pastor to do the work. Well, I appreciate the pay, but you don't pay me to do the work. My job is to train you to do the work. That's really my job. Do you know that? Yeah. So if you're not working, it's, it's my fault that I'm not doing my job. Okay. Letter C. 
the word spoken by prophecy, and notice, going back to our text now, because there's an interesting statement that Paul makes here, and even in 2 Timothy he makes a similar one we just read. He says, stir up the gift of God, which is given thee by the putting on of, the, of my hands. So there was a laying on of hands. So the question I want to actually talk about here for just a second is, how did Timothy receive those gifts? Was, it, was the laying on of hands necessary for him to have that giftedness? And if we go back to our text, even in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, where he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. So there was actually a prophetic message spoken over Timothy. And then it says, With the laying on the hands of the presbytery. So the question here is, did the laying on of hands and the prophecy actually give him that gift? And I'm going to say no. God gave those gifts to Timothy, and this gets a little technical, but I'll just say it, is that was given, the verb there was given in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, the gift that was given, was given thee by prophecy and then with the laying on of hands. So those two things, there was prophecy and the laying on of hands. And it was given, that's in a passive tense. So, in other words, the gifts were not bestowed by the prophecy or the laying on of hands. So what was the purpose of them? Well, that's what I've tried to communicate in this point. That the word spoken by prophecy publicly identified the gifts so that all those around in the church knew what Timothy's giftedness was, and Timothy clearly knew it too publicly. And the laying on of the hands recognized those gifts, but the gifts were conveyed by the Holy Spirit. The gifts were produced by the Holy Spirit, by God Himself. So the laying on of hands in the Scripture, even in Old Testament laying on of hands, and and here in the New Testament, it's symbolic. It's a symbolic act. So last week we laid hands on our deacons. That was a symbolic act to publicly confirm that they had been voted in by the church to serve as deacons of Heritage Baptist Church. When I was ordained into the gospel ministry 39 years ago, they laid hands on me. And that wasn't to convey a gift to me. God gave me the gift, but what that confirmation was, or that ordination was, was a recognition of the gifts God gave me. So the laying on of hands, the prophecy, did not produce the gift, but it publicly confirmed and recognized the gift. And you know what? That helps us. In other words, as a young man, I felt a call to preach. And so I got into a church, and I preached. And I did the I I, I I did I was mentored by the pastor, and I did an internship as a college student, and the pastor became a very dear friend of mine, and I got to know the people of the church, and after I ministered there, they said yes Matthew, we believe that your calling is from God. We see the evidence of that giftedness in your life and we would like to ordain you into the gospel ministry. So when they ordained me, I wasn't gifted by them. I was, we were gifted by the Lord. 
but it, it's encouraging to know that other people see those gifts in you, and it does give you, in a, in a sense, that confidence, and it also gives you authority, because then I was sent out by that church. I didn't come to New York years ago and say, oh, I'm just here, all I'm, I'm a lone ranger, you know? No, I was ordained and I was sent here by a church who saw the gifts of God in me to preach the Word of God. And so that gave me a sense of authority that God has sent me through a local church ministry. So, I hope that makes sense. The last thing I want to say about giftedness here is how to discover your gift. Now, what you can do is definitely go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. Read prayerfully over that passage. Because you might say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. But that's not an excuse not to serve. Actually, and, and, and here's the statement here. I believe one of the best ways for you to discover your spiritual gift is through ministry. In other words, get involved in a ministry. Do something. Do anything. If we stand up and say, oh, we need Sunday school teachers. Well, teach Sunday school. You might teach Sunday school and said, that was a horror show. You know? Well, maybe God hasn't led you into that ministry. That's okay, but at least try it. We're having a homeless ministry. You know, get involved in something. We go to the rescue mission. Praise God, by the way, for the wonderful group that's been going to the rescue mission with Pastor Carmine. I'm so, I'm just rejoicing in that. You had about like nine people there, I think, the last time. Praise God. We have a wonderful church, by the way. So many of our people serve. And here's the other thing. You could have a gift of administration and do homeless ministry because there's some administration, there's buying of things and so forth. Or you might have the gift of works, of just good works. Well, the homeless ministry, we make sandwiches and we put stuff in the bags. And then you might have the gift of mercy, to show mercy to the people out on the street. So one ministry require, may require multiple spiritual gifts. And another thing is giving. You know, there's a gift of giving. And I've known some incredible givers in my, in, throughout the years of ministry. And, and it's not just money I'm talking about. People can give what? Their, their time. And other people give their talent. And other people give food. And I appreciate that. I mean, you know how many Baby Ruth bars I've been getting these days? You know, I mentioned Baby Ruth bars. People are buying me. Ba- I got like a stash of Baby Ruth bars. So thank you for your spiritual giftedness. But as you get involved in ministry, your gifts will rise to the surface. One of the ways that I discovered God called me to preach was I just started preaching. And I said, wow, that it was like the most awesome thing and a joy, joy-filled experience. And, and I had a desire to do more of it. Okay. So, if you want to reach your full potential... Live out your empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Live out your empowerment of the God-given gift that He's given to you. And the fourth thing we want to look at today, and this is very important, is we have to pay attention, and that's the first two words of verse 16. What's the first two words? Take heed. We have to pay attention... And the second command here is 
to continue in them. And that's, I'm, I'm using that word endurance. Take heed, pay attention to continue. Pay attention to your endurance. <clears throat> now, in verses 15 and 16, again, notice there are four commands in these two verses. In verse 15, it's meditate and give yourself holy to it. As you meditate and give yourself holy, the, the promise is your profiting will appear to all. In verse 16, the command is take heed and continue. Those two commands. And the promise is, in doing this, you will both save yourself and them that hear you. Now, what does exactly that mean? I've wrestled with that question. How does Timothy save himself here? I thought he was already saved. And how does he save others? I thought Jesus saves. So there's interesting questions for us, I think, to try to understand in this passage. And it's very important. My heart is really burdened and encouraged by what Paul is telling Timothy. Because something eternal is at stake in verse 16. When he says that you would save yourself and them that hear thee. The church was at stake. Timothy's soul was at stake. Those who hear him, their souls will be at stake. So let me just kind of back up for a moment and talk about Paul's overall ministry in Ephesus. Paul had seen many in Ephesus when he first went there in Acts chapter 19 and the church was started. And then after that, the gospel spread throughout Ephesus. Many people believe that those seven churches that John later wrote the book of Revelation to were started through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He had an incredibly powerful, fruitful ministry in Ephesus. Paul loved the people in Ephesus and they loved him. In fact, in the passage read today, when, they, when Paul prayed with them and he told them, I won't see you anymore, they wept over each other. They loved Paul, the people of Ephesus, and Paul loved them. Paul thought many of them were saved, but as he's writing First and Second Timothy, guess what? The people that wept over him had forsaken him. The people who we thought were saved were not saved. It's very serious. Many of those in Ephesus that Paul loved loved him no more. And Paul was now sending Timothy into a lion's den of false teaching. And people who Paul actually prophesied in the passage read today, in Acts chapter 20, Paul prophesied when he was speaking to the elders of Ephesus, and this is where Timothy was in Ephesus, and Paul's writing to Timothy as he's going to go into Ephesus, Paul prophesied that there would be grievous wolves who would come in. Don't you love that picture? A sheep. But it's really a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? That's what Jesus said. The false prophets look like sheep, but they're not sheep. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. So Paul wrote, uh, said that there would be grievous wolves and they would not spare the flock. And notice exactly what that text says. He says, of your own selves shall men arise. So it wasn't people outside that were going to come in and mess everything up. It was people right there in Ephesus that were 
amongst that group of people that Paul was talking to, of your own selves, some of you are going to rise up and be like wolves and you're going to try to tear and destroy this church. Draw away disciples after you. And that's what happened when Paul writes 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Many had turned away from God and from Paul. Now go to 2 Timothy in chapter 4 and I want to look at a scripture there but as you look at the whole book of 2nd Timothy and it's quite interesting Paul said in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 I have the verse on the screen what did all the people in Asia and he's speaking generally what did they do toward Paul they they did what it says that they turned away from Paul so remember I, I said a church was started in Ephesus and then the gospel branched out of that church, other churches. And so this departure was affecting all of Asia with Ephesus as a center point of the problem. And then he mentions names even. If you look through 2 Timothy, he mentions Phygelus and Hermogenes. He names names. He mentions Hymenaeus and Philetus and their specific cancerous teachings. He says that there were people withstanding Paul in Ephesus who reminded him of the magician sorcerers who stood in Pharaoh's court despising and standing against Moses. And Paul even names their names as Janus and Jambres, those magicians who withstood Moses in Pharaoh's court. Janus and Jambres. Well, there were people like that in the church of Ephesus. Can you imagine? Paganism in the church. Yeah, and he said in chapter 4 earlier, doctrines of demons were infiltrating the church. It was a very serious problem. Paul was sending Timothy into. He said some had made a shipwreck of their faith. And then we come to chapter 4, and what does he say? Who forsook him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10? Who forsook Paul there? What's his name? You can talk. Demas. Because he loved the present world. The present world system is against the Word of God. And then, who did Paul much evil? Paul, Paul names the names. Wow. I mean, he's letting Timothy know who to watch out for. Down in the text in verse 14, who did Paul a lot of evil? The coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith. And look then what he says in verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men, what? Forsook me. Think of this. This was a church that loved Paul. This was a church that Paul loved. And now they had all forsaken him. So here's the bottom line. Timothy, you're not above this possibility. This could happen to you. If you're not careful, Timothy, you will turn away from me also. That's why he's writing this. The deceptive babblings of Ephesus could have such a powerful, profound effect on Timothy, it could also destroy his faith. Timothy was not beyond the possibility of, as it says, departing from the faith. 
That's very profound. And, and here's why I ask you to turn to this now. Well, let's read. Look at these verses in verse 16 and following. They all forsook Paul. But he says now in verse 17, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Don't you love that? People that you love will sometimes turn against you in this life. It's happened. Maybe already it's happened to you. It's happened to me. It hurts. And I never get over the pain that it causes. But the Lord, we have to walk with the Lord. So he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching of the gospel might be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. We're reminded of Daniel there. And he says, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will. And what's the word after will there? Look at that word. What does it say? It says, will preserve. And the word is Literally the same word Paul uses back in chapter 4 when he says, Timothy, that you will save yourself and them that hear you. It's that same word, save. Paul is saying that the Lord will save me unto His heavenly kingdom. But I thought Paul was already saved. He was. But just like you have to live out your spiritual giftedness, you have to live out your salvation. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven. And then just go and do whatever you want. You're lost if that's what you think Christianity is. This is very serious. Even Paul is saying, Timothy, as I put all this together, Paul is saying, Timothy, you're not above having made a false profession and then falling away, and neither am I. And neither am I. Now, don't misunderstand me. Because I do not believe you can lose your salvation. Don't misunderstand me. I'll, I'll get there. This is just introduction. Like I said, I had to kind of lay a little groundwork here. But Paul is telling Timothy to take heed now. I was trying to make this, how serious this situation is. And neither Paul or Timothy is above actually falling away from the faith. And the idea is, you may have professed Jesus Christ and given a good profession of your faith. And I might believe you're saved, but I don't know your heart. I believe if you are truly saved, you are saved. But many people make false professions and go back. We had a man in our church. We've had many young people in our church. We had a man in our church speak from this pulpit. And he went into a life of, of homosexuality and completely denied the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, looking back, I mean, I thought he was saved. But I don't believe he was. And my question is, did he think he was saved? Or in his heart, did he not know he was? Maybe he... He thought, did he deceive himself? He could have. Was he just living out a false profession and he knew he wasn't saved? He could have. I don't know his heart. I don't know. It's a good question there. But we've all known people who have professed faith in Christ and they've gone back into the world. Do you know somebody like that? Now, I don't believe they lost their, they lose their salvation. Some people say you can lose your salvation. It's really just almost a semantic way of looking at it. Either way, people profess faith and, and the way I see it, if they don't truly possess Christ, 
they will ultimately go back because they don't have Christ. We need Jesus Christ to do this. Take heed unto yourselves and to over all the flock. That's the message here. So Timothy has to guard his soul. Okay, so let's, let's go back into 1 Timothy. I wanted to say that to try to kind of help us understand this verse. And I want to make a few points about it and then we'll be done. So he tells Timothy, first of all, pay attention. And I put the Greek word there only because if you notice letter A and letter B there, pay attention is epoch. Oh, we get our word epic from that. And then the second word is going to be epimeno. And I just make that point to say Paul's using alliteration. And so am I. So I like to use alliteration because Paul did sometimes. See, even there's a biblical reason to alliterate. So the alliteration here is pay attention, that's take heed, and persevere, that's continue. So pay attention. And Paul said he... Paul paid attention to his own self. So much to the point, he says, I keep my body under. Literally, I give myself a black eye. I punch my body down. I I, I don't trust my flesh. Paul says, I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself... And what's the last word there of that verse? I myself should be a what? A castaway. You know what that word is? A reprobate. What he uses in Romans chapter 1 to talk about that ungodly pagan culture. That Paul says that I should be a reprobate. One without any moral sense of judgment. Wow. Paul didn't trust himself. We have to stay close to Jesus. Pay attention to your personal character. Pay attention to your doctrine. To your per, pure, keep pure doctrine. He says pay, pay attention to yourself because you are your own worst enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are your enemies. But somebody has said, be more afraid of yourself than of anything else. And pay attention to pure doctrine. That's the apostles' doctrine. Sound doctrine. Good doctrine. True doctrine. And notice the verse I put there from Ephesians. Again, Ephesians, written to the same city where Paul is writing to. And he wrote Ephesians just a little bit before Timothy. But, but Paul had told the Ephesians, don't be little children always carried about here and there by every wind of doctrine. Let me tell you, there's so many winds of doctrine blowing around out there today. Just turn off CNN and turn off Fox News. Turn, turn it off sometime. Just get in the Word. Because all this political stuff is only meant to divide us. Do not let whatever's happening out there divide us in here. Believe the Word of God. I plead with you. We need to have sound doctrine. The doctrines of devils, Paul mentions here. He mentions in other places the doctrines of men. But we must be founded on the doctrines of Christ. He is the heart of sound doctrine. That He's the Creator. He's the Savior. He was virgin born. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He bodily rose again. And He's coming soon. Paul wrote out this sound doctrine in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that great is the mystery of godliness. God Himself was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory, the doctrine of Christ. John says, if any man come not with the doctrine of Christ, do not receive him. We have to have sound teaching. Pure teaching. Then he says, persevere. Continue in them. Okay, now are you still awake? What time is it? You still awake? You got to stretch? Just for a couple more minutes. But this is the best part. The best part. You, you say, oh, I, I didn't like the message yet. You're going to like this part. Okay? 
Or if you say, I already, oh, this is a pretty good message so far. But, well, you're going to, hopefully, this is the best. At least in my heart. I, that's what. Persevere. Continue in them. Now, here's the word. It's the word, say it with me, epimeno. You're going to go out learning a little Greek today. Because it's going to help us. Epimeno. You see the root word there? It's meno. You know what that word is? That's a big Jesus word. It's the word abide. So I have it there in the circle. You see abide? We know where Jesus said abide. Abide in me and I in you. So the idea of abiding is that we abide in Christ. And that's what the memory verse was today. That that the Son of God has come and we are in Him. Remember the memory verse? We are in Him. That's abiding in Him. So that's meno. But what I got blessed with is how meno is used with multiple prepositions that go before it to strengthen the Word and give it a more specific meaning. So this word is continue, and it's the word epi, which that preposition means upon. So that's why I put this arrow over the abide. So we are depending upon Jesus as we abide in Him. Continue. That's the only way to continue. Abide in Jesus, depending on Him, resting upon His finished work of dying for us on the cross and rising again. So, with that in mind, persevere. And here's the first point. And and I just want to make some basic points. I believe these are truths. They are unchangeable truths. If you disagree with any of them, talk to me. I'll be happy to talk to you about them. But I, I, I believe these are truths that we have to really ground ourselves upon. Number one, no one is saved apart from Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. And Paul said that right in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He's the Savior of who? All men. John says He's the Savior of, I heard somebody say it, the world. He is the Savior of all men. Okay, so that's what we believe. And if you're going to be saved, Jesus alone will save you. So if you're not saved, call upon Him. Call upon Him. Come to Him. The second thing is, we must cooperate or participate with God in His Word in order to be saved. We have to cooperate. That is, we, how do we cooperate with God to be saved? We repent. That is, change our mind. And we believe. That is, we trust in order to ensure our salvation. Repentance and faith. And we actually read that in Acts chapter 20, verse 19. Paul went from house to house, teaching repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we must participate with God in His salvation plan of sending Jesus Christ. It's not enough for a person to say, oh, Jesus died on the cross, so... God loves us all, so I, I don't have to believe in Him because He loves me. I'll just go, God, God took care of it, so I'll just do whatever. No, that's not salvation. You have to personally believe in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You believe in that? Okay. The third thing I want to say is, is that salvation is a present reality. And we can be assured of salvation. So the Bible teaches that salvation is now. Pastor Carmine said it earlier, a thousand percent agree. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith and trust and repent to Jesus Christ. 
He is eternal life. And he, salvation is a present reality. And we are secure in Jesus Christ if we're truly saved. And here are the verses. Even in, and I'm using just pastoral epistle verses. Paul said in earlier in this book, I obtained mercy. That's a past tense. He says, chief of sinners. He was saved. 2 Timothy 1.9, he hath saved us. Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. I love this. He saved us. So he's the Savior, and that's a past tense, that he saved us. And I'm saved when I truly believe in Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a past done deal. I've been justified. That's why we sang that song this morning. Justified, but sanctified. There's a, an ongoing aspect to our salvation. And then there's a future aspect to our salvation, being glorified. And that's what Paul was expressing in the verse we read earlier in chapter 4, that I will be preserved or saved unto the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ. So, the fourth thing is this, though. And this is where Timothy was... This is where Paul is writing Timothy at now. This is the reality. Yes, we can say that... Salvation is in Christ. And I have participated with God in His salvation. And salvation is a present reality. But number four, our salvation will be what? It will be tested. Whether you have just professed faith or whether you truly possess Jesus Christ. It will be tested by the deceptions of this world. So we must do what Jesus said. And now here's the verse. This is what Jesus taught. Can you read it with me? Matthew 10, 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for not my name's sake. Oh, that sounds like fun. Salvation is fun all the time, huh? No, who wants to be hated? I certainly don't want to, but Jesus said if we follow Him, we're going to be hated. Some people are going to hate us. Are you all right with that? Okay. And then He says, but he that to the what? And shall be what? Saved. So if you're truly saved, if you truly possess Christ, and you truly cooperated with God, and if salvation is a true present reality in your life, you will, what does it say? Endure to the end. Now I'm going to give you another meno word. You ready? I know, it's, I know you didn't get much sleep last night. But, so we looked at epi, where we depend on, but this word, endure to the end, it's hupo meno. It's a different preposition with meno. Do you see that? And hupo means under. So that's why I put the arrow under. So it's spatial here. So the idea of endure is I'm going to abide under my circumstance when people are hating me. I'm going to abide under this situation that is not comfortable. I want to abide under this situation because I'm abiding in Jesus Christ, I can abide under this trial. That's the idea of hupomeno. It's translated endure. It's translated patience. It's the idea of patience. Enduring a difficult situation without giving God a deadline to remove that situation. And so I'm going to endure. But as I looked at this word, uh, as I looked at this word meno, do you know what I found? I found para meno, which means alongside. So it looks to me like Jesus has us covered. We're depending on Him. We're resting under Him, enduring. 
and he's walking along beside us. Parameno is alongside. Philippians chapter 1, it's only used four times, but it's used there where Paul says that you will continue and uh, you would abide and continue in the faith. I think Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, that you would abide and continue. So sometimes these words continue, same English word, has these different nuance of meaning. So parameno is, we, is that Jesus is walking alongside of us as we're abiding in Him. But I'm not done. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 for the dear widows. We'll get there in a couple weeks. 1 Timothy chapter 5, it's pros meno. And I put an arrow to, because pros is the preposition towards. And so we're abiding towards Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 5, what does it say in verse 5? What does she do as she abides toward the Lord? What does that lead her to do? 1 Timothy 5, 5, what does it say there? It says, continueth in supplication. So it's the idea of praying towards Him. So as we're abiding in Jesus, we're depending on Him, resting upon Him, we're abiding under Him, serving Him, we're, we're praying, we're abiding, praying, we're walking with Him. So this is service. We're under Him, serving, enduring. We're over Him, depending and trusting we're beside Him, walking with Him, and we're praying toward Him as we abide in Him. And this is how we continue in the faith, beloved. This is true continuance in the faith. Getting down to this abiding in Jesus Christ. And so the last point I'll make is that when we take what God gives for our salvation and apply it to our lives... In that sense, we save ourselves. And then we seek to save others. Do you know Paul used that kind of... The Bible uses this kind of language. It says, in doing this, you will save yourself. In other words, we are personally responsible to live out our salvation. We have to continually cooperate with God. Just as we did at the beginning, so we live out that salvation by the grace of God. It's not by works, but it's by His grace working in us. Remember when Peter preached, and he preached the cross, and he preached Christ, he preached the Word, and at the end of his sermon on Pentecost, he said, save yourselves from this untoward, this crooked generation. Save yourself. In other words, get a hold of yourself and live for God. By the grace of God, get a hold of the Word of God. Take hold of that chain-link fence if you will. You're not going to go up to Angel's Landing in, in Zion National Park just say, oh, I don't need the fence. Oh, you, uh, you, the wind might come. You're going to need the fence. You need the, the chain link fence. We need, we need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God. We need the church of Jesus Christ. Save yourself. And notice how this, this, this is actually used. The same language that Paul uses here. In doing this, you will save yourself and them that hear thee. Paul told the women in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, regarding marriage and separation and so forth, he says, What knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, I am made all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. Now, Paul's not saving anybody. But through his life and the gospel coming through him, people will be saved. And just lastly, and we'll be done. Go to Jude, and we'll be done. Jude, 
And we'll conclude there. Jude. Notice what Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, says. He says in verse 20 of Jude, Jude, verse 20, but you, beloved, building up yourselves. You're responsible. We're responsible to build up ourselves in our most holy faith. How do we build up ourselves? By enduring, by depending, by walking, by praying, as we abide in Christ. Build up yourselves in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keeping yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion making a difference. And others save with what? Save with fear. You save them. There's lost souls out there. Now we know Jesus saves them, but Jesus uses you as His instrument working through you. Save them. Let's save some souls here. He that winneth souls is wise. That he says that we will save them, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And read verse 25 with me. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, help us to abide in You. God, help us to realize the battle we're in. And we thank You that we do have a present salvation in You, Jesus Christ. But we also realize that our salvation will be tested by these deceptive teachings and teachers of the world that are progressing And they're moving forward as we want to move forward. So do they. So God, we're in a conflict, spiritual conflict. So we know You're the great Savior, Lord, and we entrust ourselves to You, Jesus Christ. We thank You that You abide in us and we abide in You. We pray, Lord, we would live out and walk out our salvation for Your glory. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that is only professing salvation, but not possessing true salvation, that You would reveal that to their heart. And if they're being deceived to think they're saved and they're not, Lord, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt unnecessarily. If you're saved, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I am prayerfully challenging you to examine yourself. So Lord, if there's anyone who's not truly saved, Help them to examine themselves. Because this world is going to rip them apart if they're not saved. God, I pray for our young people to stand for you. God, I pray you'll help us to stand on our jobs and in our city and in our families. Dear God, please fill us with your spirit. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who'd say, Pastor Matt? Thank you for this message today. I needed to hear a message like this that encourages me to live and, uh, out my salvation, abiding in Christ in these various ways. Can I just see your hand? And you're trusting in the Lord and you're saying, God, help me to, to save myself from this evil generation I'm in and to save others around me. I want to see them saved. 
because we're in a spiritual conflict. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to stir up the gift of God. Help us to progress and to be all that you want us to be, to reach our potential for you, Lord, to live out our spiritual enablement, to be that example, to do those essentials. And Lord God, that we would pay attention and endure to the end as you taught us yourself, Lord. Thank you, God. You can put your hands down. Hallelujah. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've truly repented of my sin and believed in Christ so that I truly possess eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. There are some doubts in my mind that are plaguing me and bothering me. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? Can I just see your hand that I could pray for you? So Lord, we commit ourselves to you that we would be strong in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing just one stanza of...